Hey, good morning, guys. Today, I want to talk with you and go through one of Jesus' more famous teachings. And honestly, I'm not sure if it's more famous or if it's more misunderstood. And for the sake of the church's place in our community and culture and the mission that Jesus left for his church, there may be nothing more dangerous to our effectiveness and impact than a misunderstood and misapplied really famous teaching. In fact, what we're going to take a look at this morning, for some of you, this itself might be at the heart of why you left the church or you gave up on religion in the first place. The misapplication or misunderstanding of this singular command is at the heart of why the movement of Jesus has lost its voice in our day. Also, more than likely, at its core, is some of the reason you're experiencing so much relational dysfunction and distance um, between those you love, maybe right even in your home. Now, the danger I'm setting up for you involves only three little words of Jesus's, really, just three. Matthew records it for us, and it, it occurs right in the middle of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus declares rather boldly, right at the beginning of chapter 7, three words, do not judge. Simple as could be, right? Do not judge. Maybe you've heard it said in four words with a little bit of a King James Version spirit to it, thou shalt not judge. Guys, there are over 783,000 words in the King James Version of the Bible, and those four might be the most famous four. Thou shalt not judge. You know, I was thinking about this. I put my kids through Sunday school from the time they were old enough to be dropped off at the nursery until they were headed off to college. And not one time during those difficult teen, teen years did I ever hear one of them exclaim during agreement, a disagreement, you know what, Dad? Honor thy mother and father. And that's one of the Ten Commandments. But many a time, sometimes time after time, this, what every teenager has adopted as the 11th commandment, it flowed quite easily. Dad, thou shalt not judge. You see, the truth is that it's not just kids that misunderstand and misapply this commandment, though. We all do it. And when we get this wrong, and we do often, we make a real mess for ourselves and for our families and for our friends and for our faith. Now, let me show you what I mean. First, this is a fairly straightforward command, right? Do not judge. Now, how many exceptions to this commandment of Jesus are there? Is it do not judge except for those whose political beliefs are different than yours? Well, well then you can excoriate them. That's an exception. Is it do not judge except for politicians because they're so phony and only out for themselves. I mean, there's got to be somebody out there that we can judge, right? What about people who parent differently than I do or whose religious beliefs are different than mine or who sleep with people that I don't think they should? What about heretics and hustlers and whores? Aren't, aren't we to judge those kind of people? What about my daughter's boyfriend? What about my son's roommates? What about my in-law's grandparenting skills? What about my friend's promiscuity? No. 
let me repeat. It's fairly simple at one level. Do not judge. No exceptions. Well, if we can't condemn those kind of people, then I guess one of the questions us religious folks sometimes ask is, well, who will? I mean, if we don't condemn them, who? Oh, I can just see at home. I know what you might be thinking. John, I, I know where you're going now. What you're saying is that we shouldn't condemn them. We don't need to condemn them. It's not our place. It's Jesus' place to judge them, not ours. And that seems to be a spiritually mature and responsible conclusion, almost intuitive, until you actually understand what it is that Jesus came to do. The most famous verse in the Bible, most of you could quote it, or at least many of you could, John 3.16. And in that verse, John describes what Jesus came to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But, interestingly enough, and maybe even frustratingly so, in the next verse, John tells us what Jesus did not come to do. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Now, John will go on to say Jesus does not need to judge at all because all of us, the entire world, has already been judged, and we've all been found wanting and need of a Savior. Guys, you have to see how important this teaching of Jesus is. Jesus did not judge people, and he didn't do so at a significant cost. Why? Well, because he lived amongst a lot of religious people then who were a lot alike religious people now, and unfortunately, a very dangerous side effect of being religious is often being judgmental. It should come as a warning, like on the side of a medicine bottle. Caution, if used improperly, your faith might lead you to being a judgmental jerk. See, this was one of the primary frustrations those in the faith had over Jesus, that he wouldn't be judgmental. Luke wrote that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered that this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. When people thought Jesus would bring judgment and condemnation because that would be the moral thing to do, Jesus brought acceptance. He went to the homes of sinners and he ate with them. Now, some of you who know the Scriptures, think about it now. Jesus, all over the place, continues to extend non-judgmental acceptance to ethnic rejects like the Samaritans. The religious Jews referred to the Samaritans as dogs, but Jesus, well, he makes the Samaritans the hero of a story, so much so that today the only time you hear the word Samaritan, it's used with the word good before it. But it wasn't just the Samaritans. I mean, Jesus did the same thing with the sexually scandalous, like the, the woman that was dragged before him. He told her, I don't condemn you. Corrupt traitors and tax collectors like Matthew, they would go on to become his disciple. They would go on to write these words. In fact, the only people that Jesus condemned were the religious people who passed judgment on others. 
Think I'm exaggerating that? Well, check out this interaction with a Pharisee who Jesus offended. Quote, I know you Pharisees buff the surface of your cups and plates so that they sparkle in the sun, but I also know your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. Stupid Pharisees, I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you Pharisees. Frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But you manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters of justice and God's love. You're hopeless, you Pharisees. Frauds. He goes on. You love sitting at the head table for church dinners. You love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. Frauds. You're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy service and they never suspect the rot and corruption that's six feet underneath. One of the religious scholars spoke up. Teacher, do you realize that in saying these things you're insulting us? And he said, yeah, and I can be even more explicit. You're hopeless. You're, you, religious, you religion scholars, you load people down with rules and regulations nearly breaking their backs, but never lift even a finger to help. You're hopeless. Now, <laughs> that's pretty tough. So let me repeat it again. In light of how serious Jesus is about this, do not judge. That's why he wasn't a big fan of the Pharisees. Do not judge on Facebook or at the lunch table or over coffee, or while scrolling your social media accounts. Do not judge. Now, I get that at one level, but it's also confusing at another because it seems like there has to be situations where we should judge, where it should be permitted or, or encouraged. I mean, Jesus, my daughter's boyfriend's a disaster. My my son's new friend group is a nightmare. Jesus, the country, it's going to hell in a handbasket. If I don't judge them, what do I do? If I don't stand up for myself or for what I believe in, then who will? And those are great questions, and they contribute to the grand misunderstanding. Because here's the deal. There is a difference between judging people and discerning right and wrong good and evil and being wise. See, these things are crucial. They're critical. We are to exercise judgment, but we're to do it without being judgmental. And guys, I have to tell you, this is an exercise. It is something that's got to be practiced over and over. We've got to decouple, detach the two. One, wise judgment that leads to life and health and peace, and the other, judgmentalism, which leads to loneliness and despair and death. We've got to distinguish and discern how things are without condemning people in the process. We have to train ourselves to be able to hold people responsible and discuss their failures with them and maybe even assign consequences. Yet, we've got to figure out a way to do it without attacking their worth as human beings or making them appear as rejects or outcasts. I love how Francis Schaeffer put it. If you preach judgment, 
without tears in your eyes, you don't have Jesus' spirit. Now, in, in saying we're not to be judgmental, Jesus is not saying that we're supposed to just be gullible or naive. Every couple of months here at Mendham, everyone on the staff gets an email from somebody who poses as me. Inevitably, they, they all basically say the same thing. They write, hey, it's Pastor John, and then they use lots of religious language to try and validate that it's me, which of course to the staff immediately invalidates the email. And then they say, I need money right away. Please send it or leave me some gift cards. Now, Jesus is not saying, oh, well, who am I to judge? Let's just put the Amazon gift cards out in front of the porch. No, 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 that's not it. And Jesus is, is not saying you, you have to be, I don't know, be, you have to put up with being mistreated because, well, who are you to judge? That's not it either. I heard a funny story about that this week. Towards that end, somebody said, if, if you want to know who loves you more, your spouse or your dog, lock them both up in the closet when you leave for work in the morning, and when you get home from work, let them both out and see which one is happiest to see you. See, that's not it either. So what kind of judgment is Jesus talking about then? What's the difference between discernment and wisdom and judging? Well, guess what? Like usual, he never tells us. He never tells us. Instead, you know what he does? He asks another question. Back to Matthew. Do not judge, Jesus begins, and then he adds, not an exception to that rule, but a warning. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And what does he mean there? If we judge others, then who is going to judge us? Is it, is it God? Is it, is it other people? He goes on, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. In the same way you judge other people, you're going to be judged. Put another way, judge other people that you want to be judged. Or even more simply, how do you want to be judged? Now, I mean, I know how I want to be judged. I want to be judged with the benefit of the doubt. I, I want to be judged taking my whole life into consideration. I, I, I don't want to be judged just based on one stupid decision I made or something that I said or uh, maybe something I should have said. I, I, I want to be judged by somebody who understands me and what I've been through and what I've faced in my life. I, I want you to know before you judge me what impacted me as a child. I, I was a skinny kid, but I was raised, to, told I was supposed to be the toughest guy in the neighborhood. You know, it's really hard to be tough when you weigh 80 pounds in the eighth grade. And then, you know, over time, that builds a little bit of an inferiority complex, which can drive you to, to try really hard to get ahead, and then you feel like you always have to win, and you have to prove everybody wrong, and you right. See, I want you to judge me understanding that. I want you to judge me knowing I came from a family uh, that was divorced. Uh, I come from a family where there's addiction issues on each side of the family. I mean, I don't want you to, to judge me just based on an incident. I want to be judged based on my whole story and not just an opinion or an action. And it's just for that reason that Jesus asked this question. So then why, I add the so then, 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Guys, that is a serious question. That is a powerful, powerful question. Jesus does not tell us how to distinguish between discernment and judgment and judgmentalism. He asks a question that he knows will much more powerfully and transformationally lead us to answer the question ourselves. So when it comes to judging others, let me ask you again, because I've been asking myself this question all week. Why is it, John, or Jim, or Joan, or Jill, why is it that it comes so easy to you? Why is it that it's so natural for you to look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, to to look at their issues and their sins, their screw-ups and shortcomings? Why is that so easy for you to do, but yet you pay no attention to your own? Guys, that's, that's a real question. And as our series indicates, Jesus asked it, and so I think we ought to try to answer it. Now, now, you, you're, you're going to get all week to work on your answer. You should think about this. It's super important. But since I've had a week to reflect, let me share some of my conclusions. I'm not proud of them, but here's the deal. The first reason is, and, and unfortunately, it's probably the primary reason, the reason I'm so quick to point out the splinter and avoid the plank is because, well, pointing out the splinter in your eye makes me feel better about myself. In regards to myself, here's the reality. I judge people for two reasons. I do it either to elevate myself over them or to come up with an excuse for my shortcomings, why I'm underneath them. Why do I do it? I do it because it makes me feel good or at least feel better. Why is your car better than mine or your house bigger than mine? Well, you see, I'm not materialistic like you are. I mean, really, do you know how many children in Africa you could have fed with those shoes you're wearing? Why are you more successful at your career than I am? Well, you care a lot more about money than I do. I, I, I need to you know, prioritize my family. I mean, I'm a preacher, right? Why, why is that guy's church bigger than my church? Oh, he doesn't preach the real gospel. He only tells people what their itching ears want to hear. Why is my church bigger than that guy's? Oh, well, that's because I'm a better preacher than he is. Come on now. I can't be alone in this. Don't leave me hanging here. Answer Jesus' question. Why? Why do you judge people? Now, see, some of us go the other way with this. Some of us judge in order to elevate ourselves, but others of us judge to kind of excuse ourselves. And I guess it has to do with where our internal brokenness lies. See, some of us judge to elevate ourselves over others. Others of us judge to make excuses. Well, of course she got the job. She's so much prettier than I am. Well, of course he got promoted. He, he's so much smarter than I am. This is so fascinating, right? Some of us in judging tear others down in order to build ourselves up. Others of us build others up in order to tear ourselves down. This is a super serious question. Jesus wants to know, why do you do this? It's a really good question. You you should answer it. 
But it's actually a two-part question that Jesus asks because the second part is, and why do you ignore the plank in your own eye? Why are you worried about the speck while you ignore the plank, your plank? Well, that one's a little bit easier. First, uh, the reason is that I tend to think that he or she has the plank and I have the splinter. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but hey, they've got some serious issues. <laughs> the second is I wasn't ignoring the plank in my eye, Jesus, as I think about it. I just wasn't aware that there was one there. And so with that introspection under our belts, Jesus continues, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clarity to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, here's what I, I need you to hear, because I know some of you are at home right now, and you're going, but, but these people, and you don't understand, and, and somebody needs to tell them, and what's going on is not what... I, I agree with all that, because notice, Jesus never disputes that your brother has a speck in his eye. And yes, Jesus is concerned about that speck, and he wants something done about it more than you do. But when you see something in someone else that needs addressing... What Jesus wants you to do, the first thing that you have to do, the first thing I have to do before I go to him, or even worse, to someone else or to Facebook, the first thing I have to do when I feel judgmental over something is stop and look for the plank in my own eye. Now, I don't know about you guys. I have to set alarms for, at this point in my life, I have to set alarms for everything. I forget everything. Literally every day, the staff laughs at me. I have like two or three alarms go off a day, so I won't forget certain things that I have to remember to do. And it gets even worse. It gets, it's gotten to the point now alarms go off and I can't remember why I set the alarm. What Jesus is saying, whenever you begin to feel judgmental, that feeling should be for us like an internal alarm. The minute you feel it, you need to go plank hunting. Because if we don't, we become, and this is strong now, and the church has been accused of this, and maybe you have too, we become hypocrites. This is, unfortunately, the number one adjective that followers of Jesus have attached to them. That's why Jesus is so blunt in his command here. Do not judge. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody who runs to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye before the alarm goes off internally and they remove the plank in their own. Now, when we do this, when we become hypocrites, when we become judgmental and condemning, nobody listens to us. In fact, it's even worse. When we do this, we wind up pushing people away from us, further away from what we have to say, and actually, they run into pushing the splinter deeper in their lives. You see, being condemning and judgmental, can you tell me one person that that has wooed toward you? Being judgmental and condemning, has anybody ever said, you know, I, I never thought about it that way, but now that you've judged me and condemned me, I'm coming around to your way of thinking. Guys, it never works. It doesn't change anybody. It just drives people further into that behavior. Again, Jesus never says the splinter isn't serious. Jesus never says it shouldn't be addressed. 
Jesus says the person who that's going to address it, the person he's going to use, first must address themselves. But John, you don't understand. Somebody's got to say something. God's not happy about this. People are not living the way. My, my son, my daughter is not living the way. God wants them to. You know what? You're probably right. But because we don't first remove the plank in our own eye, and they know that, we lose our voice. We lose our credibility to say something. It happens with the church and culture. It happens between a husband and a wife. It happens between you and your kids. Maybe you've heard it. Sure, Dad. You can drink every night, but I can't go out with my friends. You see, you see how powerfully destructive this is in our lives? When you come out me about my issue in, in some self-righteous fashion, when I so clearly see the hypocrisy in you, not only am I not going to listen to you, I'm going to pull further and further away from you. Your voice is going to matter less and less to me. I'm going to get deeper and deeper into whatever it is that you were judging me for to begin with. See, the truth is that this culture, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, they do have, Jesus never, never denies that they, there is a splinter in their eye and, and Jesus wants it out more than you do. Something needs to be done. And Jesus is looking for someone, some person, some people, maybe his church, to not go after his sons and daughters with self-righteous judgment and condemnation, which will only serve to push the culture and his sons and daughters further away from him. Instead, he's looking for his people who are willing to take the self-righteous planks out of their own eyes so he can use them to remove splinters from others. First, take the plank out. Then you can go and remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Jesus never said there wasn't an issue with them. What Jesus does not want, though, is for you to go and make it worse. Then comes this incredibly confusing verse, which just so hammers the point home, if you understand it. Again, it's been misunderstood. It's been mistaught forever. Jesus then says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I mean, that seems to make no sense, right? Jesus just gave us this whole deal on not judging people, and then what's he immediately do? He immediately starts calling people dogs and pigs, which would seem, well, I don't know, awfully judgmental. In fact, over time, people, preachers, have actually used this verse in that way. In fact, I think when we interpret it that way, it just kind of shows our judgmentalism. See, teaching it as if what Jesus was saying is that there are some people unworthy of sharing the gospel with, that there are people who are so beyond pale that we shouldn't even bother with them. Well, that I mean, A, that makes no sense given what he just said, and B, that goes against how Jesus lived his entire life where nobody was too far from redemption. 
That is not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying has to do with our tendency to be judgmental hypocrites. He's speaking, think this through with me, to an audience steeped in religion and laws and thou shalt and thou shalt not. What Jesus is teaching them and what Jesus wants to teach us, his church, is to think <coughs> about how you approach people with the truth, with the right, with the good, with the gospel, with, with what it is that you want to bring them from God. I, I, I like how Dallas Willard put it. Our practice of condemnation engineering, as it might be called, it usually goes hand in hand with another device mistakenly used to manage the lives of those that we actually really care about. It's the practice of pushing the things of God upon them, whether they want or are ready for them or not. Do not, he said, give dogs sacred things to eat, nor try to get pigs to dine on pearls, for they will simply walk all over them and turn and take a bite out of you. Guys, the problem with pearls for pigs is not that pigs are not worthy. It is not worthiness that's in question here at all, but helpfulness. Guys, pigs can't digest pearls. Pigs aren't going to be nourished by them. Likewise for a dog with a Bible. The dog can't eat it. The reason these animals will finally turn and rend you when one day you step up to them with another load of Bibles or pearls is that at least you're edible. And what a picture this is of, of our efforts to be correct and to control others by, by pouring out our good things, often truly precious things, upon them. Things that they nevertheless simply cannot take in. Often we don't even listen to them. We think we know without listening. Jesus saw it going on all around him all the time, and we do today too. You see it all the time. And the outcome is usually the exact same as with the pig and the dog. Our good intentions, our, our pearls, they don't make any difference. The needy person finally becomes angry and winds up attacking us. The point is not the waste of the pearl, but that the person given the pearl wasn't helped by it. Have you tried this with your kids? You see this relationship often between a child and a parent. Along with condemnation, they tend to go hand in hand. It's the number one cause of alienation between the generations. I want you to hear that. It's the number one cause of alienation between the generations. Our children or others do not know what else to do with us because we've become pearl pushers. And even though they love us, they simply cannot take any more of our pushy irrelevance. But what do we do, though, with with my daughter and with my son and, and about our country. Well, first, we got to take the plank out of our own eye. First, we have to figure out why we have this spirit of judgmentalism or condemnation. The alarm needs to go off inside. Is it because what they're doing is oh, it's just making me so angry? I'm just so mad. So many of my friends with, with, with all that's gone on politically over the last year, oh, I'm so mad. Well, the reality is our plank actually might be an anger issue. They're not doing what I want them to do, so I'm just so fired up. For you, maybe it's a pride issue. Is the plank for you pride? Because what they're doing, well, they're doing after you told them not to do it, and it's, it's just so disrespectful. 
How about jealousy? I can't believe that she would wear something like that. Well, as I heard one preacher say this week, that's because you can't wear something like that. Well, she shouldn't dress like that because I used to and now I can't anymore. And you're right. You're right. She probably shouldn't dress like that. But until you deal with your jealousy over, until you deal with your jealousy plank, you're not the person to help her. So first, you got to take the plank out of your own eye and make yourself a candidate for God to use to go to somebody. But then there's the second. When you do, gosh, if we could learn this. Don't go guns a-blazing, Bible verses spouting, threats of judgment spewing. That, I'm telling you, is not going to be received. That is why nobody listens to, to us as the church anymore. We lost our voice. Instead, listen to Jesus' very next verse. With your sons, with your daughters, with your spouse, with your neighbors. Instead, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, it's funny, there it is again, just like the last few questions we've looked at. Jesus tends to come back with three points. Ask, seek, knock. As long as I'm condemning my friends or relatives or pushing my pearls on them, I'm their problem. They have to respond to me. And that usually leads to their judging me right back, just like Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, or biting me back, as Jesus just said. But, but, as I ask them about my concerns, I mean, heck, if we can learn anything from this entire series, it is the power of questions over commands. As I ask, as I listen, They don't have to protect themselves from me. They, like we, tend to open up to these things. I may quickly begin to appear to them as as an ally, as a friend, as a resource, because I'm no longer trying to drive them. Genuine communication, real sharing of hearts, it becomes an attractive possibility for them. Jesus is saying that our approach to influencing others for their good as well as ours is not to judge, condemn, and convict. No, no, no. You want to get your kids back? You want to restore your relationships? You want people to hear your concern for them? Do we want people to hear our concern for our culture and our country? Instead, we have to ask them good questions. We have to not be afraid to ask them to change, but we have to seek for both their answers and their good. We have to listen and understand and accept Accept does not mean approve, but it means accept. It means we have to hear them. And lastly, we have to continue to knock, to not give in, to not give up, to not write off, and to not walk away. You keep knocking in a spirit of gentleness, kindness, forgiveness, and love. Friends, this is the way of Jesus, who though he certainly could, he did not come to judge but to save. And so should we. Jesus, who came not to kick in the door of our ways, but to knock on the doors of our hearts. And so should we. 
And I have to tell you, I can't help but wonder if we hadn't dropped the ball on this whole thing, what God could have done, and I can't but help, help but wonder what God still could do with a gathering like this here at Mendham Hills, the hundreds of us that call this place our church, if we would today, right now, forevermore, stop judging, stop lecturing. But if instead, we would first, every time we feel like judging, if we would remove the plank from our own eye, if we would deal with what it is that's driving us nuts, then God might allow us to be used by Him in our homes, our neighborhoods, our towns, our country, for good. And instead of protesting and screaming and moralizing, if instead we would ask and seek and knock I can't help but wonder the impact all of us together imagine a community of hundreds of people doing that in one town. You know, we might be able to change the town. I know you could change your home. And it all starts with one simple question. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Guys, I am challenging you to answer that this week. I want to be praying for you. As you do, because we can get the plank out of our own eyes. If we can get the plank out of our own eyes, there's a whole lot of splinters out there that need removing.